We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Ross Darrell-Feingold. I'm joined in the studio this evening by Dimitri Buras of the China Post. Hi, good evening, everyone. And on the phone by ICRT Central Taiwan correspondent Donovan Smith. Good evening, Donovan. And good evening. Today we'll be talking about virus prevention measures, including the return to Taiwan of nationals who have been stuck in Hubei and Wuhan, as well as how to prevent virus spreading during the tomb sweeping festival, which will occur next week. We'll also be talking about the Taichung coal situation and the latest dispute between the city government and the central government. Speaking of Taichung, we'll also be talking about the proposal from Taichung legislator and Taiwan State Building Party member Chum Bo Wei to allow Hong Kong residents to serve in the Taiwan military. And our final story will be the death earlier this week of ballroom dancer Serena Liu at the young age of 44. But we'll begin with the virus and the recently imposed entry ban on most foreigners entering or even transiting Taiwan, which was implemented last week, with some exceptions, such as diplomats, foreigners with residency, and other special permissions, such as business meetings, which probably requires a lot of paperwork to get that special permission. Dimitri, we'll we'll start with you. And the reason why I'm starting with, with you is the China Post, which you write for, and it's a wonderful publication had a very sympathetic article a few days ago about a gentleman named Tom. Now, according to this article, Tom was a resident, at least in the headline, but he was unable to return to Taiwan. Now, according to the authorities, residents, people with an alien residence certificate, can in fact return to Taiwan. So what's the situation with foreigners trying to get into Taiwan, Dimitri? Well, the bottom line is whether you have an ARC or not. If you have an ARC, you can make the point uh, with your travel agent and the airline company and find your ways back to Taiwan. Well, even if you have an ARC, you will go through a quarantine of about two weeks now, but you which, will be able... Which, which, sorry to interrupt you, but that applies to local people as well. It, it applies to everyone. Now, the situation with the, the person you just mentioned, I think this person doesn't have an ARC uh, as for the, for the moment. He was, on, he was on a short trip to extend his visa, and he was just caught by surprise. He was caught by surprise, so he couldn't come back. Well, well, well. Let's put it this way. Well, you know, if if you if you're living in Taiwan, if you're working in Taiwan, of course, you have to have an, an ARC to legally work here. So we don't condone uh, uh, people uh, living here on tourist visas. Of course, we're a radio show, so we can't condone anything that's in- inconsistent with the regulations. Uh, Donovan, how do you read the situation? Are, are people being shut out of Taiwan unfairly, or, or these are was this the right thing to do at the right time? Well, broadly speaking, I think it's, it's correct, and I think most countries are doing this. I think it's noteworthy I, I, that the one thing I think that they did that was positive, which other, a lot of other countries were not doing. For example, the Philippines basically gave a 72-hour order for all foreigners to get out of the country. Um, whereas Taiwan basically said, okay, if you're already in Taiwan, we'll extend your visa and let you stay to ride this this thing out, which is a, a little bit more of a humanitarian response than the Philippines did. Uh, but there are some people where there's a little bit of a problem and some inconsistencies in, in how it's been enforced. There was one article, and I think it was in Focus Taiwan or Taipei Times, I, I can't remember which, but it compared and contrasted two different 
uh, two different individuals were coming back, neither of which had an ARC. However, one had a uh, was married locally and had a kid, and they let this person in. Uh, and now that begs the question: Why didn't this person have an ARC in the first place? But. Um, that was that wasn't addressed in the article. Another was a French guy who uh, was basically doing visa runs, um, as you mentioned, based, living here on a tourist visa, and then running back and forth. And this person was basically sort of caught right at the deadline, went to Singapore and was coming back, and was totally unprepared. All of this person's things were here in Taiwan, and basically had two days worth of clothing for a, a short day trip to you know short trip to Singapore. So there seems to be some inconsistency on how that was enforced. But I think overall, it's a, it's a good policy, and they thought it through <clears throat> in a humanitarian sense, which I think was good. And uh, Donovan, there's also been some articles that, that attracted international media coverage about foreigners who suddenly found themselves in quarantine. There was some coverage of a French couple. I don't know why there's a pattern of French people here, Dimitri, getting into these stories. And then, uh, Donovan, there was a story about a British couple who were suddenly, at least from reading the media reports, thrown into quarantine. And then their mother complained about the quality of the food, which prompted uh, the various government agencies to defend the quality of their treatment. Uh, can, can you enlighten us a bit? Why, why are some people suddenly claiming Meaning they were thrown into quarantine after already entering Taiwan. Well, <laughs> I can't speak for these individuals as to why. Um, I can understand the feeling of being imprisoned. The the way that the 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 quarantine works here is the police show up and the health department shows up with a person. If it's a home quarantine, there's a separate kind of quarantine where it's in hotels uh, and other uh, other care facilities, but. The general type of quarantine, the police show up, the health department shows up, and they give you a package of stuff, which includes a temperature monitor and a, uh, I guess, a thermometer, you'd call that, (laughs) Um, and a cell phone. Now, the cell phone, uh, you're supposed to, you can use line or call, depending on, on your preference, and send in your temperature and confirm or, you know, whatever your, your health symptoms may or may not be. And then this goes on for two weeks. Now, the, the part that I, I can see people feeling quite nervous about is that the government also monitors your personal cell phone as well as the cell phone that they give you. In other words, if the GPS shows that you have left your apartment, the police show up and the penalties are quite strict. So I know someone who the problem was is it was on a high floor of a building with a lot of people in it. And so the cell phone the GPS signals were not very clear and would frequently look like it was outside of the apartment. So the police were repeatedly showing up, even though this person was not breaking quarantine, which uh, from the description sounded kind of kind of Orwellian as a feeling, although this person was fine being quarantined for, you know, as part of being, you know, a good citizen. And, uh, but the police repeatedly showing up was kind of alarming. Well, if you're the neighbors, uh, Dimitri, wouldn't you love to have the police coming by all the time? Your neighborhood suddenly is much safer. <laughs> or you wouldn't want to be near the quarantine people. <laughs> well, again, there will be, it might be some like communication issues because those foreigners who've been in Taiwan for a couple of days don't, don't master Chinese. So when you see the police showing up in the morning to your place, that's kind of, uh, that's kind of uh, intimid- intimidating. Uh, what I could say too is that, um, we also ran a story about a couple of, uh, two foreign, two French, 
nationals who actually were in Taiwan already before they announced this new quarantine, the mandatory quarantine thing in Taiwan. So they were, the, 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 the couple was asked to go to a hotel uh, sponsored by government or health authorities. And, but the issue there was that they were asked to pay, I think it was something like 50,000 uh, NT dollar on the spot to cover the fees for, uh, for their stay, the whole stay. For, they had to stay for another week, I think. Um, well, now, why were they asked to go into quarantine if they had already entered Taiwan? And they, at the time they entered Taiwan, they because were allowed to Because they were to in enter. Taiwan for less than a week. Uh, so it didn't matter where they came from. It didn't, it didn't matter. And so it was less than a week. So the health authorities considered that, well, the, the, the virus could, you could still show symptoms in about a week from now. So they asked the couple to stay in a hotel facility for about two weeks. Now, did someone come chasing them down? Was there like a policeman with a big net, like, you know, to, to catch the foreigners? Big, no, big but net? it was, what they told us, it was very intimidated, intimidating because they were in southern Taiwan. Nobody spoke English. So they couldn't ask, nobody could answer their questions. Dimitri, I, as I recall, when he was mayor of Tainan, William Lai had this great you know, English language, you know, all the government officials are going to speak English. And well, <laughs> practice makes perfect. Maybe they need more time. So, But what I think uh, the Taiwan authorities did was great is that because this, this young couple couldn't afford to stay in a hotel, they helped them to find and they recommended some hostels and places less expensive where they could stay and then where the uh, government authorities could maybe check on them and to see if they have if they show symptoms of COVID-19. And, and that uh, on that note it, it's the perfect time to transition to the next virus story we'll be discussing which is the f finally the return of Taiwan nationals who seem to have been stuck in Hubei province or, or Wuhan city uh, ever since the lockdown was implemented at the end of January. Donovan can you tell us a bit about the controversy within the past few days about about how and which aircraft and and, and just what would be the conditions by which uh, these these Taiwan nationals can return to their country. Well, I think some of it goes back to the first flights, uh, where the authorities and a person in Wuhan basically contravened what was the original list uh, that was sent from Taiwan of people to be allowed on the plane. So on the Taiwan side, there was a lot of concern, and I think that, is, that has carried through. But they finally uh, agreed to send some flights over to Shanghai to bring back people from Hubei province, uh, and they've already got, I think it's 440, uh, are set to be brought back. But the Taiwanese in Hubei province have to make their way to Shanghai. Now, Hubei province is no longer under lockdown. But they have no way, there, there was no explanation of what, what about the people who are in Wuhan City, which is on lockdown to April 8th. And they can't get out of Wuhan to get to Shanghai. So they're still stranded. And apparently there's about a thousand or so stranded in, in Wuhan. Uh, Dimitri, who's right and who's wrong here? I mean, some some people, especially in Taiwan and, and commentators outside Taiwan say, China has been keeping these people hostage, and there was this controversy over whose airline should get to fly these kinds of charters. Now, as, as, as Donovan pointed out, at least outside of Wuhan, people in Hubei, they could just 
take a car or trade or however they'll be allowed to travel with the end of lockdowns to Shanghai and get on a regularly scheduled flight. But then, uh, no, no, actually, they they're special charter flights. Anybody from no, Hubei but, Province has to come back on a specially chartered fr- flight. Well, but, but that's not allowed to fly commercial. But back. that's according to the Taiwan side, right? Donovan? Yeah. Well, the China side, I mean, this goes to the heart of the controversy, though, right? The China side saying, we, you know, we have flights, you could just get on one of those flights. Dimitri, who's right and wrong here? Well, it's not about right and wrong. It's just that uh, whether you live in China or you live in, in, in Japan or in Europe, uh, if you're in need and, your gov- and the government wants to help, uh, well, if you, you can charter a flight to, to- uh, Tokyo, why not doing it to uh, Wuhan? And some of the people who live in Wuhan actually don't have a choice. They work there or their family is there. So we shouldn't keep, we shouldn't blame them for all of that. And if we look at the big picture about all these um, Taiwanese expatriates or students who came back in recent days, uh, we've noticed that actually some people lie. And they live in one place, but they tell in the reports they have to fill when they just, you know, when they arrive in Taiwan, they just don't tell the truth. Or they don't say that they know these or these students. Or they take separate flights just to get undercover back into Taiwan. So, well, we should treat the people in Wuhan like we treat people in all, all across, all across the world. I mean, overseas Taiwanese, we should treat them the same way. With them being from Wuhan, I mean, this is not their fault per se. But Donovan, that, doesn't that also go to the heart of uh, proper quarantine measures, which you were discussing er- earlier in the program, in that some people need to be taken to mandatory quarantine centers, government run, and some people can quarantine at home. Uh, so there does seem to be different treatment, and, and maybe there's good reasons for that. Well, I, if they come back from Wuhan, or uh, many countries, it, it's, as far as I know, it's the same, is that if they get back to Taiwan, they have to be quarantined for 14 days. Um, and I believe they can be home quarantined. Uh, but the, there's still the issue of getting people out of Wuhan, and we don't know how many the Wuhan government has quarantined over there. Uh, there's also the issue, which apparently the government here hasn't come to a formal decision on, is whether or not the children, spouses of the Chinese children and spouses of the Taiwanese will be allowed to come back or not. It sounds like a bit like those foreigners who, have, who, who are married to Taiwanese and had trouble getting back into Taiwan. And then there's the issue of how people who are uh, going to be quarantined get to travel from the airport back home. And, Dimitri, there was a lot of media coverage this week about different kinds of bus services. And, and is there enough ways for people, you know, if you live in Taichung or Hualien, to get from the airport back to your home without taking a public transportation? Well, it's getting easier because there are less flights coming in and out of Taiwan. A couple of flights left. Uh, I read a story this morning that uh, the uh, Taoyuan MRT that links Taipei to Taoyuan is going to uh, lower uh, the num- the frequency of uh, of the trains because they just there is less demand for that. But the authorities actually uh, they launched a special taxi service for people traveling coming from from abroad and coming back to Taiwan. Though I think there is a special number you can call and you can get help if uh, family members and friends cannot pick you up at the airport. And speaking of transportation issues and traveling on Taiwan's trains and highways, next weekend will be the Tomb Sweeping Holiday, a very important festival uh, for Taiwanese people. Uh, Donovan, what kind of safety measures uh, will be in place to travel uh, home to do the uh, Tomb Sweeping rituals? Or do you recommend people don't even do that? 
Well, the, the government is recommending that people do it virtually or s- spread out the time that they, uh, that they go rather than everybody going on that day. They could go a day earlier or two days earlier or uh, days after. Uh, ideally, they do it virtually, and if they decide to absolutely go, they're recommending that less people go. Um, that's the national guidelines. In other words, they're not enforcing anything they're recommending. Now, the, what's interesting, though, is I, I obviously I follow Central Taiwan News, so I know a little bit more about the nuance here. And the response between the Taichung, Zhanghua, and Nanto governments are all actually interestingly different. The Taichung city government has set up a system for virtually going to the columbarium and doing your offerings. And the Taichung city government says what's important is the intent. Um, but they're not blocking people. And again, they have a series of guidelines which are sort of similar to the national ones for people showing up uh, at the actual columbariums and uh, to do tomb sweeping. Zhanghua, on the other hand, has issued a, a blanket ban on going to columbariums, whereas Taichung, you have to register to go, but you can still go. Zhanghua is completely banned uh, countywide. Nanto has, let this, has handled the situation slightly differently in that there it's a patchwork of regulations, meaning some of the columbariums have been shut down and other ones are still open, but you need to register and follow a series of protocols like wash your hands and, and to wear face masks and things like that. So it really kind of depends locally what your, what your local regulations are. Dimitri, do you, do you think uh, online virtual uh, r- rituals is, is going to be popular this year or, or people are, are just uh, bound to the traditional, more traditional ways uh, of fulfilling the tomb sweeping rituals? Well, to, tomb sweeping is two things, it, tomb sweeping and then family gathering. So, well, the tomb sweeping online, maybe we can, there are ways to do to handle these things. But I think people want to bound together. They want to meet eat together and enjoy a meal together. My understanding so far is that there is no community infection in Taiwan. Most of the recent cases we've seen last week, most of them, I'm not exactly sure about the number, it should be something like more than 90% are imported cases. So as long as we uh, stick together, we wear face masks, and more importantly, we wash hands as often as possible. I think that families need also some time together and we already spend a lot of time indoors. Maybe it's a chance to, chance to also spend some time outdoors unless the situation deteriorates over the next few days. And, and uh, Donovan, to Dimitri's point, you, know, you mentioned that uh, some of these are just guidelines they are recommended. They're not mandatory yet. Uh, but what if the situation uh, does get worse? And it does seem, despite the authorities' uh, uh, very good efforts, that the number of cases does continue to increase uh, and that's not unique to Taiwan. Uh, are they going to have to really impose some strict requirements using the authority of the law on, on tomb sweeping rituals? Well, they might. I mean, the the government has said that up to up to this point, it was Su Zhenzang basically came out and said, up to this point, we've not been enforcing a hard lockdown. He said, if the situation warrants it, they will. And so at this point, it doesn't appear that there's a lot of, as Dimitri mentioned, uh, community outbreaks. And so for now, they seem to be sticking with the soft one. If uh, community outbreaks start to happen on a wide scale, then they probably will put in the, those kinds of restrictions. Now, what we don't know, standing from where we are, is 
what would constitute a large enough community outbreak to do so? And would they do it nationally or would they just keep it local? I, I don't think we have answers to these questions. But the government, I think, so far has done, and it helps that the, the, the vice president is an epidemiologist, um, that the government has done a pretty good job of uh, preparing and then carrying through the follow-through is very important, and then keeping things so that the the general public has a, a sense of concern, but not panic. And so, I think if they move to those hard measures, and they move to a, a serious crackdown, and they actually go they they go into emergency mode officially, legally, um, then I think the the level of concern could move closer to panic. So I think they're going to think twice about it. Uh, so, but again, I think that they're going to look to the science on that. So, Dimitri, the the panic button won't be hit before team sweeping day. I hope not. But I would say just maybe there is one community who actually each year managed to do everything right on time. It's the Hakka community in Taiwan because they celebrate tomb sweeping just after the. Chinese New Year. So they're done with it already. That was a very smart move this year. Well done, guys. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll have to take a short break now, but we'll be back after these commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week. We were just talking earlier in the show about different approaches by county or city governments to vexing issues of public policy. And another example, one we've discussed many times on Taiwan this week, is coal and pollution in Taichung. And there seems to be a dispute that's broken out yet again between the central government and the city government led by a Guomindang mayor, Lu Xiuyan. Donovan, update us on the latest controversy over coal policy. Well, okay, the executive UN has basically ruled that the Taichung city government passed law regulating the amount of coal that can be burned at the state-owned Thai power-run uh, Taichung power plant. Is They've overruled it and uh, basically thrown it out. Now, the, so the Taichung city government... Uh, under Liu Xiaoyan has been, essentially she exploded. Uh, she said that this was dictatorial, it was outrageous, it was unprecedented, and it was, uh, she was really quite angry about it, and they're going to appeal this constitutionally. And their big issue is that they say this overrule, this is a dictatorial move that, uh, that effectively uh, removes or weakens local rule uh, by local governments. Now, the interesting thing is, is that the big war of words went between her and defending the cabinet's position was trans is Transport Minister Lin Jialong. Ironically, the law in question was passed at his recommendation through the city council in 2016. So he was defending the cabinet against the Taichung city government, which he used to run, and the law that he got passed. And the law mandated that over four years, between 2016 and 2020, the amount of coal burned at the Taichung power plant would be reduced by 40%. Now, the problem is, is that the, the permits issued were mis, they were written incorrectly. So there was some wording where it went from one date is what it read 
on the permit, and but the permit was supposed to read until this date rather than from this date. And so, but if you look at the original intent of the law, it was supposed to be to this date. So it it really kind of got all messed up there. Now, the the Lu Xiuyan should not really have been surprised. She called this unprecedented, but it's definitely not. The Miaoli County government uh, effectively was shut down when they tried to introduce local controls over the Mailiao complex, and the same when uh, Wei Mingu in. Zhang Hua tried to clamp down on the Formosa Plastics uh, units that are located right in central Taichung, I'm sorry, central Zhang Hua. Again, he got overruled by the central government. So there's a, a long-standing pattern of this. Dimitri, uh, this dispute o- over pollution, coal, nuclear, uh, renewables, and especially how, how, how it has this serious effect on air quality in Taichung, just keeps going on and on. Well, well, why don't we see substantial progress yet? Well, it's a long story, but the thing is, it, oh, it's all related to the government's new energy policy. And uh, the government made and has very ambitious goal, but it will take time before renewables could overtake coal production, energy from coal production. And in between, the issue for residents in Taichung is, to, well, they, I, we, we should, un, we have to understand their concern about the air quality. Uh, for uh, young kids, but also for elderly people. If on a daily basis, you, there is a daily index and you can follow up this index and see that the situation is not improving. So, well, the mayor represents the uh, the population. The, what, I mean, the, 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 the mayor has to do something and she needs to uh, make a stand and she needs to oppose uh, government's policies and asking her to wait because the, the 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 major concern we have here is it's right now we are in march and what will happen in july and august does it mean that without coal production energy from coal production do we have energy we will we have enough energy this summer and if like the previous years the summertime gets really hot again well that could be a major concern for uh, the population but also the industries in the area so yes donovan if you if you had to predict where where do you think the the the, the politics rather than the legal case uh, because uh, the legal the judges might decide that it's constitutional unconstitutional but practically there's still the issue of providing energy as, as Dimitri was just uh, pointing out so Don if you had if you had to say where the politics of this dispute is going to go where, where what would you say well I just want to actually quickly make one correction technically the air situation has gotten better in Taichung and this is this has been true every year since. Jason Hu's administration through Lin Jialong's administration and early here into the first couple of years of Lu Xiuyan's. However, people's tolerance for it has dropped dramatically. So as a public relations thing, right now people feel more and more concerned about it, and they're much more aware of it as an issue. So there continues to be a lot of pressure on Lu Xiuyan because she campaigned she essentially set a trap for herself. Her main campaign focus was elect me and the air will be clean. That was her, that was her, uh, that was, her, you know, replace the mayor and you'll, you'll replace the air, meaning to clean it. And so she's essentially set a political trap for herself because the local government is very limited. And so, so to answer your question, what's going to happen, I think, is that 
is that the central government is just going to proceed with their existing plans. The, the Taizhong city government is going to continue to be overruled, and the cabinet is just going to stick to it. And, of course, from the Taizhong resident perspective, this is somewhat galling because most of the or much of the power that comes out of the Taizhong power plant is sent to other areas of the country. And as local residents are known to say, particularly uh, Lu Xiaoyan supporters, is that essentially we pay for the power that goes to other areas with our lungs. Speaking of Taizhong politicians, uh, a few days ago, Taiwan State Building Party legislator Chen Bowei proposed that Hong Kong residents can serve in the military of the Republic of China as part of a pathway to acquiring citizenship, which actually is not a new proposal from the Taiwan State Building Party. This is something they had discussed uh, last year during the legislative election campaign. Dimitri, should foreigners be allowed into the ROC military? And you're the perfect person to ask because you may have some familiarity with the French Foreign Legion. Well, not, not yet. But, uh, well, let's put it this way. Uh, so far, foreigners actually, if you want to, uh, it may be, it's, there, there are different ways nowadays. But in the old days, if you wanted to obtain the Taiwan citizenship, you had to go through the military service. So it's not something new. Um, the thing is, um, Taiwan stopped the compulsory military service a couple of years ago. So, well, does Taiwan, would Taiwan have the infrastructures, the, 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 the people in charge that could take care of maybe a sudden increase in number of, of young people willing to serve in the military? So, so this is something we still don't know. But, well, uh, there are many ways to serve to serve your country. So, well, maybe the military is an option, but there are many ways, other ways that you can serve your country. So, if you're planning to move to Taiwan, you want to contribute to Taiwan society. Well, we could also recommend other ways to instead of serving in the military, maybe in working uh, as a volunteer in the hospital or stuff like that. This this should be. Uh, we should give them different options. Uh, Donovan Dimitri suggests maybe they could have other options. But legislator Chen seemed to indicate that these would be the most enthusiastic fighters because of their feeling, the people, young people in Hong Kong, how they feel about the Chinese Communist Party. He thought they'd be great warriors. Is he right? I I, I think he's right about some Hong Kongers. Um, I, I mean, he specifically said, you know, they, you know, they hate Chinese even more than we do, I think is the way he phrased it. Um, and I, what I think is interesting is that, as D- Dimitri noted, it, previously what happened is, is that if you become a citizen, if you're male and under the age of 35, then you have to do your military service. And whereas Chimboy, thank you, his, his proposal is that they serve in the military as a pathway to citizenship, sort of reversing that and turning on its head. Now, Su Zhenzang uh, he he replied that he has that the government here is very concerned about uh, I, I forget exactly it was something along the lines of he's very concerned about the the democratic movements and and uh, and human rights in Hong Kong but that we'd have to be very prudent on bringing in people from uh, you know, from Hong Kong to serve in the military and just one final little point to throw in I find this very interesting that this came out uh, just after Han Guoyu has 
he proposed his Hong Kong village idea uh, to invite a lot of people from Hong Kong to live in Kaohsiung. But, of course, that's not a new idea, Donovan. There were uh, politicians last year during the height of the Hong Kong protests who were also proposing Hong Kong villages for different parts of of Taiwan. Uh, Dimitri, uh, what would the the defense ministry or the national security professionals think about this? How would they even vet the, the applicants for such a program? What if China inserted some spies or other people with ill ill intentions to join this program? Well, that could that could be maybe that could be. What's it? A very good question. Uh, the the same the same. The, the, there was this issue also with foreigners, uh, Westerners going into the military because most some of them don't speak Chinese, and maybe um, not everyone speaks English. So, well, I don't know about your Cantonese uh, language skills, but uh, that would well they they might find ways to handle that, but uh, that would be I think. Uh, a short, a long-term goal, not on the short term. And, and Donovan, how would China react to this if Hong Kong, uh, you know, a, a large number of two hundred, for example, uh, Hong Kong young people were suddenly in the Taiwan military? I, su- I suspect they'd go ballistic, <laughs> literally or figuratively. <laughs> Probably figuratively, but possibly, yeah. I'd say most likely figuratively, yeah. And uh, before we go, our, our final story today will is a bit sad. It's the death earlier this week of a very prominent ballroom dancer, teacher, actress, uh, Serena Leo, Leo John, who uh, tragically passed away earlier this week due to a, a heart condition and complications that arose after surgery uh, earlier this year. Donovan, help, help us understand the not just the popularity of Serena Liu, but the popularity of, of her art, of ballroom dancing. It's not something that's a, a native art to Taiwan. Uh, no, um, but she appeared, I mean, she was originally inspired by Dirty Dancing, which, of course, seems to have set off a, <laughs> it's still reverberating today, that movie. But she started dancing and became well-known in the early 2000s. She would dance on shows and, uh, you know, in support usually of big stars, um, Andy Lau, people like that. Uh, she was also a frequent talk show guest, and so she did a lot of different things, not just the ballroom dancing. But she was described in all the accounts. I, I don't remember ever seeing her on, on TV, but as being uh, very graceful, very beautiful, very proficient. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I, I, she'd be in music videos and things like that. Dimitri, the story's gotten a lot of media attention. Is, is it uh – because she was popular as as a dancer, or uh, people just looking for some diversion from the virus. So even though this is a tragic story, people want to talk about something else. So well, why is this such a prominent story in the past few days? Well, you, you have a point. This is a very sad story, but it's even sadder to see how local media handled this uh, the, the the story this week. Because well. Uh, we've in the media in the media circles we've been repeating and repeating time and again these uh, stories about COVID nineteen. So maybe uh, there was this um, this story was a bit different from the others. And because of her, she, she's she's uh, very famous. She's a fam- she she was a very famous uh, a dancer. So well, maybe it's the one of the reason why so many media outlets covered this news over the last uh, have covered this news over the last three days. But 
I think uh, I think it was a bit over the top as usual in Taiwan. Uh, um, too much um, emphasis on on uh, well, emphasis on her family, for example, which I don't think it was actually uh, very suitable. So, well, we should now take a step back and just leave the family. Uh, Leave them alone for some time. Donovan, too much coverage uh, of this story. Her, 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 her young child was featured in the news. Did they? Did the media go go over the line? Probably, yeah. Um, the the last I'll, I'll admit the last few days when it comes to TV news, I've been watching uh, international news because there's bigger news overseas and. The local, my local, uh, when I read the Chinese newspapers, it tends to be focused on central Taiwan or politics and foreign affairs. So I, I, I missed a lot of that. The interesting thing that, that I saw is, but she did keep coming up. I was, I was aware of the story because there was also a lot of coverage coming out of Singapore on it. Um, and from Singapore and from Southeast Asia. So that's where I was getting that uh, news from rather than locally. Yeah, I, I think it's fair to say that uh, she had developed a regional reputation because of uh, some of the syndication of those variety shows and talk shows that she frequently appears on. And I think that's where we'll have to leave it this week on Taiwan This Week. I've been joined in the studio by Dimitri Buras of the China Post. Hi, good evening. And Donovan Smith, the Central Taiwan Correspondent for ICRT. Good evening, Donovan. Yeah, and have a great weekend, everybody. There won't be a show next Friday, April 3rd, as it's the tomb-sweeping long weekend holiday here in Taiwan, but we'll be back the following week, April 10th, with a new show. In the meantime, thanks again for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, your guest host, Ross Darrell Feingold. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcasts on iTunes and Android podcast apps where you can get access to all of our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.